0: The jungles in northeastern Malaysia were impenetrably dense. The hot, humid air hung heavy over everything. Birds squawked from high above, and slithering in the undergrowth below, were some of the most poisonous snakes on Earth.
1: The unforgiving landscape stretched on for miles, but nestled between the lush hills of Hulu Basut was an odd sight.
0: There, in the middle of the vegetation, stood something that looked straight out of a children's theme park, a two-story-tall teapot.
1: It sat at the heart of a six-acre complex known as the Sky Kingdom. The leader of the compound, Aya Pin, claimed the water that spilled from the pot's spout had healing qualities.
0: Pin cut an unassuming figure. He was a short, thin man with tobacco-stained fingers. But while his image wasn't impressive, the power he wielded was.
1: He didn't own a children's theme park, Instead, he had complete control of one of the largest cults in all of Malaysia.
0: Hi, I'm Greg Polson.
1: And I'm Vanessa Richardson.
0: And this is Cults, a ParCast Original. Every Tuesday, we look at a cult's practices, their leader, and their followers. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Cults for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Cults in the search bar.
1: This week we're focusing on the leader of the Sky Kingdom, Aya Pin, a man who claimed to be the reincarnation of a handful of religious figures. We'll explore his mysterious origin and how he built one of the largest cults Malaysia had ever seen.
0: Next week, we'll dive into the explosive growth of the group and its unexpected downfall at the hands of the Malaysian government. We'll have all this and more coming up. Stay with us.
1: This episode is brought to you by The Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery? Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to The Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed.
0: Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on?
1: Forget the crap online and listen to Science verses. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes.
0: What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Boo That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Arfin Mohammed came from a humble background. He grew up in the small town of Batchok in what is now northeastern Malaysia in the 1940s. His parents, who were Muslim, barely eked out a living, and Arafin never received any formal education.
1: Instead, Arafin spent his days playing at the beach and in the jungle. He loved watching the various birds swoop down from the lush canopy of trees.
0: Arafin did his best to mimic the exotic calls of each bird. He never got the sound just right, but it took his mind off life's tough realities. He often worried if there was going to be any food to eat, or if his family could make it through yet another rainy season.
1: His concerns were practically universal in the rural settlements of British Malaya. By the 1940s, the British had ruled the colony of Malaya for over a hundred years. The large metropolis of Kuala Lumpur, where many Chinese and Indian immigrants worked, succeeded economically. But the rural areas, where the population was mostly Malay, were left to fend for themselves.
0: Arafin occasionally helped out his father, Mohammed Mera, who picked up odd jobs throughout the town. If a roof needed fixing or if someone needed trash hauled away, Mohammed was there frantically working.
1: When Arafin wasn't with his father, he spent much of his time alone with his thoughts. On warm days, he went down to the beach and watched the waves come crashing down. It was a pleasant, if not simple, childhood.
0: But at 10 years old, Arafin learned the cruelty of the world.
1: One day while playing, Arafin started to feel odd. Dizziness washed over him and he became coated in a thin layer of sweat. Arafin's body started to ache and he desperately wanted to lay down.
0: He stumbled home and quickly fell asleep on the floor. When his parents arrived home that evening, they were aghast. Their only child looked miserable. When his mother touched his forehead, she recoiled. He was burning up.
1: But his parents likely didn't have enough money for a doctor. They could only pray for Arifin's recovery.
0: The illness might have been caused by any number of things. Dengue fever and malaria, mosquito-borne diseases, are endemic to Malaysia. With much of Arafin's time spent outdoors, it's possible that a bug bite caused his sudden ailment.
1: What happened over the next few days is unclear. According to Arafin, his condition continued to deteriorate and the outlook seemed grave. He claimed that at one point his heart stopped beating and he passed away. Then Arafin was visited by an angel.
0: The angel was surrounded by brilliant light and said in a commanding voice that it wasn't time for Arafin to ascend to the kingdom in the sky. Instead, he had an important job to do.
1: The angel told Arafin that he must unite all of the religions of the world under one banner and bring peace to the earth. Once Arafin had accomplished that, then he could ascend.
0: Vanessa is going to take over in the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or a psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show.
1: Thanks, Greg. While we don't know the specifics of Arafin's illness and recovery, we know that it was severe. He and his parents likely thought he was going to die. Instead, in the grips of his fever, Arafin saw an angel that gave him a new purpose near-death experiences can fundamentally change someone's personality. According to psychiatrist James Lake, near-death experiencers often report significant changes in values and beliefs, including increased spirituality, greater concern for others, a heightened sense of purpose and appreciation of life, and decreased fear of death.
0: Accounts of orphans' recuperation are hazy, We know that sometime after his miraculous encounter, Arafin slowly recovered at home with his parents.
1: Now Arafin felt imbued with a renewed sense of purpose, but being so young, he hesitated to carry out the angel's order.
0: In the days after, he doubted what he saw and wondered how he, at such a young age, could change anything.
1: After this profound experience, the next 20 years of Arafin's life are shrouded in mystery.
0: We know that he stayed in northern Malaysia after becoming an adult. He moved out of his parents' home and lived in isolation in the hills on the east end of town.
1: Some accounts assert that Arafin spent his younger life much in the same way as his father. He picked up odd jobs around town. Some journalists report that he bought and sold scrap metal, acting as a middleman.
0: Other stories say he traded water buffalo for the farming villages up in the
1: hills. While those details are vague, it's clear that Arafin made a meager living. He wasn't nearly as close to starvation, like when he was a child, but he didn't thrive.
0: His only earthly pleasure seemed to come when he went to town during his spare time to attend cockfights. For a man who grew up loving birds, the choice was odd.
1: But it's possible that these violent contests were meditative. When he recalled his holy vision, the prospect of global peace seemed unobtainable.
0: It's easy to imagine him staring at the birds tearing each other apart, wondering if mankind might ever get it together, and if he was the one who could bring about the change.
1: But each time these thoughts crept back into his mind, he pushed them aside. Arafin convinced himself that his boyhood vision wasn't real.
0: In his mid-twenties, Arafin decided to leave his hometown and set out across Malaysia. We don't know for certain how he made money. He may have acted as a contractor, making just enough money to make it to the next town. He certainly felt aimless and confused.
1: That is, until some point in the 1970s, when Arafin fell into the orbit of a man named Hassan Yakob.
0: Yakob was a self-proclaimed holy man with at least 300 followers. He had set up a small commune full of wooden structures for his acolytes to sleep in.
1: Arafin was magnetized by Jacob's positive energy and infinite knowledge. He felt safe and comfortable in the community.
0: But things didn't stay that way. Suddenly, Jacob began preaching that he was more than a holy man. He was God.
1: At first, Arafin rolled with the new change. After all, Jakob could be the type of person that Arafin had heard about in his vision. Jacob might be a man to unify the world.
0: But much to Arafin’s disappointment, Jakob didn’t pick up that mantle. He instead focused on bringing gratification to himself.
1: Arafin felt that Jacob collected too much money from his followers, funds that weren’t being distributed back to the community.
0: It was clear by Jakob's selfish actions that he wasn't God. So, after about a year in the community, Arafin decided to leave.
1: He headed back home to Bachoke, just as lost as when he left. He returned to a life of odd jobs and lost afternoons, sitting on the beach watching gulls swoop down above the crashing waves.
0: Arafin convinced himself that his life would never amount to anything more than this.
1: But all that changed in 1973. He had another divine meeting with an angel.
0: This time, the vision came in a dream. The same angel from before came down from a kingdom in the sky.
1: In a loud, booming voice, the angel said Arafin was the reincarnation of several holy figures throughout time. It ordered Arafin to unite the people of the world through religion. He needed to get started on his mission now.
0: Arafin woke with a start. Covered in sweat, heart racing, he shook his head. One vision was an anomaly, but a second one? He was convinced that it must be true. He must be the reincarnation of Muhammad, Christ, Buddha, and Shiva. And he had work to do.
1: Coming up, Arafin changes his identity and starts a heavenly kingdom on Earth. Listeners, here's a new show I can't wait for you to check out. When it comes to love, every story is unique. Some play out like fairy tales, seemingly meant to be. Others defy the odds to achieve happily ever after. In Our Love Story, the newest Spotify original from ParCast, you'll discover the many pathways to love, as told by the actual couples who found them. Every Tuesday, Our Love Story celebrates the ups, downs, and pivotal moments that turn complete strangers into perfect pairs. Each episode offers an intimate glimpse inside a real-life romance, with couples recounting the highlights and hardships that define their love. Whether it's a chance encounter, a former friendship, or even a former enemy, our love story proves that love can begin and blossom in the most unexpected ways. Follow our love story free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now back to the story.
0: In 1973, 30-year-old Arifin Mohammed had a second prophetic dream. An angel told him that he was the reincarnation of Christ, the prophet Muhammad, the Buddha, and the Hindu god Shiva. He said the angel commanded him to unite the world in peace.
1: After his second angelic encounter, Arifin changed his name to Aya Pin. In Malay, the word Ayah means father, We'll refer to him as Aya Pin for the rest of the episode.
0: Much like the other details about his early life, the steps Pin took next aren't widely known. We know that by his 30th birthday, he was married to his first wife, Minna Romaley.
1: The couple moved to a six-acre piece of land once owned by Ramele's grandmother.
0: It was in the small village of Kampung Batu, 13, about 25 miles from the east coast. There, Pin got started on his message of global peace.
1: Pin spent his days meditating, honing in on what he wanted to say, because even after his second vision, he still felt hesitant about his mission in life. It seemed like an impossible task, but he gave it his best shot.
0: When he wasn't busy meditating, Pin told anyone he came in contact with about his message. He spoke of his visions and said he wanted to bring about world peace.
1: But unfortunately for Pin, his message largely fell on deaf ears. He lived in a sparsely populated area, and those he talked to were unconvinced about his prophet status.
0: To be fair, Pin's story was muddled. He claimed he was the reincarnation of several different religious figures from all over the world. Pin said he was a conduit for God to talk through, although he didn't specify which God. In addition to the confusing message, living in Malaysia didn't help.
1: When the country gained its independence from the United Kingdom on August 31, 1957, its people set up a new system of government. In doing so, the Malaysian people formed two separate systems of justice, one federal, the other spiritual. This was meant to accommodate the largest religion in Malaysia, Islam. Even in 2010, about 61% of the Malaysian population is Muslim.
0: While the country's new constitution guaranteed the freedom to practice any religion, the spiritual justice system, the Sharia court, limited this freedom.
1: In theory, the Sharia court was set up specifically for Muslims in the country to help them follow the teachings of the Quran.
0: But it wasn't that simple.
1: According to Malaysian law, every Malay person, which is the largest ethnic group in the country, was born a Muslim. This meant that the majority of people born in Malaysia, regardless of religious preference, were under the rule of both court systems.
0: And the rules laid out by Sharia court were strict. If authorities found out that someone wasn't following Islamic practices, like daily prayer or fasting during holy days, that person was fined or jailed for their transgressions.
1: So, while the federal system allowed for religious freedom, Sharia court did not. Anyone looking to leave Islam for another faith faced the risk of persecution.
0: They could petition the Sharia court to ask to leave Islam, but this complex legal system resulted in people spending months going in circles. Very rarely, if ever, was anyone allowed to leave the faith.
1: And during the legal process, a petitioner could still be charged for not following the tenets of Islam, possibly resulting in jail time.
0: To keep Muslims' faith pure, the Malaysian government branded different religious sects as deviants. The government determined that these groups intentionally led Muslims astray and were a risk to society.
1: Being labeled deviant was dangerous, the equivalent of being issued a scarlet letter to wear. The Malaysian government usually didn't pay much attention to smaller sects, but stepped in when a group got too much exposure.
0: So it was under this oppressive regime that Ayah Pin tried to bring people together. He did his best to collect followers, but it was of no use. Most people were too afraid to agree with his thinking.
1: In the mid-1970s, Pin lived on a six-acre piece of agricultural property in the jungle with his wife and floundered. He spent his days tending the land and talking with passers-by.
0: But even in the face of disappointing recruitment numbers, Pin prepared his home to be an eventual meeting place. With the help of his wife, they even built a few simple wooden buildings for future followers to stay in.
1: Eventually, he made some progress in recruitment, he attracted a handful of dedicated followers who came up to meet Pin whenever they were in town.
0: Pin's confidence in his mission was bolstered by continued dreams of angels and a kingdom in the sky. With each new vision, Pin grew surer of himself, gone were the doubts he had as a child. No amount of hardship dissuaded him.
1: According to psychiatrist and author Neil Burton, Visionary experiences aren't that uncommon. In fact, he says a survey of adults in the United Kingdom, Germany, and Italy found that about 38% of people have experienced hallucinatory visions, sounds, or sensations in some form, oftentimes before or after sleep. Burton argues that these states can be beneficial for the person that experiences them. He writes, Whilst psychotic symptoms may be a marker of a serious underlying disorder, in some cases they may be a normal or life-enhancing experience. For example, hearing voices of ancestors or guardian angels and finding comfort in them, or seeing visions and finding inspiration or religious revelation in them.
0: For Pin, his visions reassured him of his purpose and convinced him that his new land was sure to be a future heaven on earth.
1: After years of having a few visitors come and go, something seemingly miraculous happened.
0: More people returned to his land looking for him, and new faces appeared who claimed they had seen Pin in a dream.
1: One follower, a man known as Mr. Sonic, said he had a vision in which he stood on a large mountain that looked down on all of Malaysia. He said he saw everything from coast to coast, but below he noticed the figure of a man.
0: Suddenly, this man grew larger than the mountain and looked down on him. It was Aya Pin. At that moment, Sonic knew he needed to follow this holy man.
1: He had heard stories of Pin and had seen his photo before, but never believed any of the things said about him. The vivid dream convinced him that Pin was the real deal.
0: People from all over the country were venturing up to Pin's small compound to hear his message. And while not all of them had seen a vision, word of PIN had finally caught on.
1: So by the early 1990s, PIN had a decent following, totaling somewhere in the hundreds. During the week, the Sky Kingdom was usually quiet, but on the weekends, new converts packed in, pilgrims commonly visited from Kuala Lumpur, 250 miles away.
0: PIN's message was radical, but nonviolent. He sought to bring together all religions, and his followers found it liberating. People who lived their entire lives under one strict system of faith were able to expand their horizons.
1: Because Pin claimed to represent Christ, Buddha, Muhammad, and Shiva, his followers could pull tenets from several religions, depending on what appealed to them. To help spread his message of world peace, Aya Pin held interfaith services.
0: Pin invited people from all around Malaysia, regardless of religious background, to join him. It was common to see Christians, Hindus, and Muslims all sitting around together talking. Pin even reached out to the Orang Asli, an indigenous people who had historically been ignored by the Islamic community.
1: People came from all over the country asking for advice, and Pin had easy solutions to everyday life problems like stress at work or family illness he told his followers to put their trust in him, someone who had a direct connection to God.
0: Eventually, he told his followers that he journeyed to the Sky Kingdom whenever he wanted to. As simply as his followers walked down the street, he ventured to the Kingdom of Heaven.
1: After that, Pin's followers renamed the six-acre piece of land to the Sky Kingdom. They begged to hear what he had seen up in the sky— hoping to gain insights into the world of God.
0: The faithful would gather around Pin in a circle. They chanted and sang hymns while he laid down and ventured up into the Sky Kingdom. These sessions lasted for hours, stretching late into the evening, usually not ending until around 4 in the morning.
1: When Pin awoke, he would tell his followers of the Majesty in the Sky and renew his claims that he was the Savior of the world.
0: After he gave his testimony, a few people would come up to PIN and ask for his healing hand or advice.
1: He never granted a miracle, but he remained thoughtful and kind. Followers rarely left these marathon services disappointed.
0: When they departed after an intensely spiritual weekend, they went home to their villages and told their closest friends about the Sky Kingdom.
1: Each year, hundreds of new people showed up on Pin's land. To be closer to Pin, they started staying during the week, instead of only coming for services on the weekends. He recognized the need for more facilities, and more small huts were built.
0: Eventually, there were 35 small wooden structures on the property. Each one accommodated several people, but each person had to pay a small fee to stay.
1: Within 15 years of starting his mission, Pin had thrived. He had followed through on the commands given to him, and he was living in comfort. Unfortunately, his growing success had drawn the attention of the harsh Malaysian government.
0: Coming up, Aya Pin builds a wonderland in the heart of the Malaysia jungle, and the government comes knocking. Now back to the story.
1: By the mid-1990s, Aya Pin, now in his late 40s, had flourished as a religious leader. He had thousands of followers throughout Malaysia committed to his cause. His peaceful yet radical message that encouraged all faiths to come together had resonated with the public.
0: Pin's once-quiet six-acre plot of land now functioned as a full-time commune that at least 150 followers called home.
1: While his movement grew, so did Pin's family and wealth.
0: He now had four wives and over a dozen children. Followers spotted him wearing fine silk robes and expensive loafers around the Sky Kingdom.
1: Though he had once criticized religious leader Hassan Yaqub's financial practices, PIN couldn't help but let his own financial success go to his head, and his ego slowly ballooned. He took a cut of the funds, he liked expensive cigarettes and clothes, his living quarters became well furnished, and he even bought a modest sedan.
0: He quickly adjusted his claims of divinity and began hinting at the idea that he was God.
1: And none of his growing congregation ever questioned him. To question him was to question the Word of God.
0: By tying himself to so many different religions, some followers likely felt that if they turned their back on Pin, it was equivalent to walking away from all faiths. It seemed to them that once they were in, they had nowhere to look but Pin.
1: Compounding this was the dread of the local Sharia court, Followers knew that if officials found out they were a part of Pin's group, they might be subject to the full force of the law.
0: Even though some of his followers feared the law, Pin wasn't afraid of the authorities. They hadn't interfered with the Sky Kingdom yet, and Pin didn't think they would start anytime soon.
1: But that changed in 1994 when the group started its biggest project to date.
0: According to some versions of the story, one of Pin's closest followers, a former religion teacher named Muhammad Yah, had a vivid dream that he believed was divine.
1: In Yah's vision, he saw God using a large yellow teapot to sprinkle water over the Sky Kingdom commune. Below, Yah spotted a huge blue vase, a giant umbrella, and a large central building.
0: After the dream, Yah came to Pin with what he saw. Pin, a true believer in the power of dreams, realized he could make Yah's vision come true.
1: Pin told his followers he wanted to build the giant teapot and everything else from Yah's dream. He said the water that flowed out of the teapot would have supernatural healing powers. After all, Sky Kingdom was heaven on earth.
0: Pin also explained that the large umbrella would serve as a place for people to rest in the shade under God. It symbolized how people from every religion could gather together under a single god.
1: While these plans may sound a little outlandish to outsiders looking in, Pin's followers were firmly in his grasp and behind him all the way. Soon after Yah's dream, construction was underway. Large equipment rolled into the valley and dozens of followers mixed tons of concrete.
0: The work was time-consuming and backbreaking, but the Sky Kingdom followers smiled through the pain. They were laboring in the service of their God, who might bless them for their contribution.
1: And their offering didn't stop at physical labor. The project's price tag was high.
0: Followers likely paid for this out of their pockets. If the new structures brought them closer to the Sky Kingdom and provided miraculous health benefits, the money and hard work were worth it.
1: According to an article on cult behavior by Nigel Barber, a psychology researcher, these types of physical and financial commitments cement groups together. Barber said that according to a study of communes, bigger sacrifices engendered greater emotional commitment to the group. Costly commitment helped groups stick together. It's unclear if PIN knew this would happen, but the results were clear. His followers bought further into their commitment to the Sky Kingdom.
0: Pin anxiously watched over the construction. He wanted everything to run smoothly. He loved his followers and didn't want to alienate any of them with the
1: work. Each structure slowly rose out from the ground. Intricate pathways were built from one landmark to the next. The walkways were lined with Greek-inspired columns and were covered with ornate tile.
0: The project shaped up to be something unique and altogether marvelous. Pin hoped the eye catching results would help spread his message to the rest of the world.
1: Sometime in 1995, about a year after breaking ground, construction on the project finished and the results were impressive.
0: In the middle of the Malaysian jungle stood a 20 foot tall concrete teapot. Water constantly flowed from its spout into an equally tall, brilliant blue vase. From there, the Sky Kingdom followers could draw water to drink.
1: A large building now served as the hub for all of the group's meetings. The dazzling red roof sparkled in the hot sun.
0: Inside was a stage inlaid with brilliant tiles and decadent furniture for Pin to sit on during his sermons.
1: The entire compound stunned PIN's followers. It didn't feel like it came from this world, and that's exactly what PIN wanted.
0: Followers came from all over the country to taste some healing water. They felt euphoric, spiritually fulfilled, and closer to the divine.
1: Nani Rosli Muhammad, a young Malaysian woman who struggled with city life, loved being at the Sky Kingdom. She said, It's really a miracle place. They have changed my life because I did suffer a lot out there before I met Aya. I find happiness, love, everything here.
0: It didn't take long for a larger audience to hear about Aya Pin and his marvelous Sky Kingdom. Especially once photos of the new buildings made their way into local papers.
1: People who had never thought about venturing to the village of Kampung Batu 13 decided to take a weekend trip to see this new and unique Eden.
0: But not everyone was pleased with this new influx of visitors to this relatively quiet part of northeastern Malaysia.
1: Traditional Muslims living in a village nearby started to complain about the Sky Kingdom. They didn't mind the increase in tourism, but they had concerns about what Pin taught out in the jungle. To them, it felt like Pin actively thumbed his nose at authorities as well as Allah.
0: To them, Pin taught his followers to be religious deviants, and the locals who were just doing their best to get by didn't want what they saw as a bad influence in their community.
1: They pressured local authorities to do something, but the police were hesitant at first. Authorities knew there were rules to enforce, but nothing like this had ever happened at such a large scale in their district.
0: There were reportedly hundreds of people on that land during the weekdays, and the local authorities had no idea what Pin's followers were capable of. Police questioned if they could control the situation if it got out of hand.
1: Nerves were running high, so they reached out to the regional government, hoping something might be done.
0: From there, the wheels of bureaucracy were put in motion.
1: In 1995, investigators from the local Sharia court took a look at some of PIN's closest followers. They accused Muhammad Yah and his wife, Kamaria Ali, of being deviant teachers.
0: It was a clear scare tactic. And since the system was something akin to a kangaroo court, the pair stood no chance. They were sentenced to prison.
1: Both Yah and Ali appealed the decision, saying that they were no longer Muslims, but that request was denied. Instead, they were asked to repent for their sins, but they refused and were charged with further crimes and three years in jail.
0: Then, in 1997... The Religious Affairs Council in the province issued a fatwa against Ayah Pin and the Sky Kingdom. This meant that, in the eyes of the Sharia court, Pin and his followers violated Muslim law.
1: It served as a warning to his followers and prospective members leave and stay as far away from the group as possible. Because if someone was to be caught in the presence of Pin now, there were going to be consequences.
0: Pin knew that if he didn't retaliate against this persecution, it would only get worse.
1: So in 1998, four members of the group did something radical. They publicly renounced their Islamic faith.
0: The act shocked locals and was a tit-for-tat move that sent a clear message back to the Sharia court. The Sky Kingdom wasn't going to let the government stop them.
1: But their actions set in motion an escalating series of events that not only brought global attention to Malaysia, but also hearkened the end of the Sky Kingdom.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Cults. We'll be back Tuesday with Part 2 of aya Pin and the Sky Kingdom.
1: You can find all episodes of CULTS and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify.
0: Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast Originals, like CULTS, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker.
1: To stream CULTS on Spotify, just open the app and type CULTS in the search bar. CULTS was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of CULTS was written by Robert Tyler Walker, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon, and stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson. Don't forget to check out Our Love Story, the newest Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, discover the many pathways to love, as told by the actual couples who found them. Listen to Our Love Story free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.